0: Today we're going to kind of wrap up this series in uh, called Back to School in the ebook, and in next week we're going to have the OC Kids. Then after that we're going to have a special service, a special message for back National Back to Church Sunday, and then after that we're going to jump into the book of Nehemiah. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are, and we're going to just try to set the table to make this as appealing as we can for people who are not part of church to come and be here and for you as regular attenders to dive deeper into the Word of God and know Him and love Him more than you ever have. Sound, sound good? Yes. All right. So where have we been so far? Well, here's, where, here's the ground that we've covered so far. In chapter one of our e-book, we learned that God thinks very, very highly of you. He cherishes you. He holds you in high esteem and high regard. And, and we looked at all of these different uh, things that are true about how God sees us. He sees us as chosen, as predestined, as adopted into his very family, as accepted, as redeemed, as forgiven, as informed, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and as sealed sealed until the day of redemption. That's how God sees us. And when I don't feel a thing, when I'm not sure that I am of value, we go back to chapter one of our ebook and we remind ourselves that God sees us with great value. And that's how we need to see ourselves. But then we remembered in chapter two that we should never ever forget where we came from right? Because all of those things that we are, and that's how God sees us, we should never forget that it was, it was him who did all the work in the first place. Now, he thought enough of us to do the work to provide those things. But there's not a single one of us in here that did a thing to, to earn any of those labels. Nothing. We didn't do a thing. It was all God. It was all God. And so, while he sees us as highly valuable, which drove him to take the actions that he did, we need to remember that it was all God, not us. Never forget where we came from. And with those things in mind, then out of a response to who he is and what he's done and how he loves us, then we should be willing to go anywhere that God calls us to go and do anything that God asks us to do, right? Shouldn't we? Amen, right? All right. We also learned last week in chapter three that God takes his own advice. He said, don't ever build something without counting the cost. And he designed you, he designed me, designed every person that's ever breathed. He designed Jeremiah, and we talked about that a little bit last week. And understanding that God always takes his his own advice and he never builds without counting the cost. Whatever he has purposed you and designed you to do, he has already equipped you with everything you need to do the job. Now, sometimes you gotta rummage around to find it. Don't you? Sometimes you think to yourself, God is calling you to do something. Oh, I can't do that. I can't go there. I can't do this. And God is saying, no, wait a minute. Yes, you can, because I made you. I knew what I was asking you to do before you were ever even born. And so I'm gonna make sure that I put those tools, those clubs in your bag. Now, sometimes it might be the ability to influence somebody. Sometimes it may be an actual skill. Sometimes it may just be the hardwiring of who you are. But trust me, whatever God has called you to do, whatever he's purposed you and designed you to do, he has equipped you with the clubs and the tools in your bag. And so that brings us to chapter four. So open up your e-book to chapter four of Ephesians. And while you're turning to Ephesians 4, let me cover this with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for uh, who you are, Lord, that you loved us before we were lovable. God, you redeemed us before we were redeemable. And God, through all of those things, you continue to pursue us and show us how much you value us. And God, I pray that as we finish up this series this morning, that we will see you through new eyes. And God, we will understand our place In your kingdom and Lord that we would give everything that we have to bring others and invite them to join us uh, in at the table in Jesus name all God's people said amen Amen. all right so before we kind of unwrap chapter four I want to, to kind of jump to the middle of the chapter and I want to look at two verses in particular that relate to my role in what we've learned so far. And to your role in what we've learned so far. All right, so let's begin by looking at verses 11 and 12 in Ephesians chapter 4. Here we go. Verse 11, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul writes, now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, in these two verses, we see five leadership roles that Christ has gifted to the church. Five leadership roles that Christ has designed to move his church forward. Now, as the pastor here at Orchardville Church, I have some measure of responsibility for each of these five roles. I, I have a measure of responsibility for being an apostle. That just means someone on mission, someone sent. I have, I have a, a responsibility for being a prophet, and, and one understanding of prophet is being a truth teller, to speak the truth, not to tickle your ears, church, but to speak the truth of God's word, amen? I have a, a responsibility as an evangelist to try to win the loss to Christ, but the two that I'm, I'm primarily gifted in are those last two as, as pastor and teacher. Now, the reason that I bring your attention to these two verses is primarily because of what Paul wrote about them in verse 12. And uh, here's what Paul tells us that the job of the pastor, the job of the teacher The job of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, according to verse 12, and if you look at it with me, their responsibility is to do all the work in the church and accomplish all the work of the ministry by themselves. Isn't that what it says? Do y'all have something different? Yours doesn't read that way? Now, mine doesn't read that way either, but that's how it's read in most churches. Because here what Paul is actually saying is that the job of each of these roles and the job of your staff here, the job of George, the job of Rick, the job of Erica, the job of Carlin, the job of Justine, their job, the job of Mark, their job is not, not, to do all the work of the church. The job of your staff here is to not do, accomplish all the work of this ministry. You know what their job is? You know what my job is? Is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Now, equip, what does equip mean? Somebody just, let's, I'll have back and forth. What does equip mean? What's that? Lying, equip, supplying, okay. I, I like that definition a lot better than lying. Uh. <laughs> All right, supplying. Any other definition of equip? What does equip mean? Preparing. preparing. All right, so equipping is supplying, is preparing, is training for what? What's, what, are, what are we equipping everybody for? What does it say? To serve. to serve. It's the work of the ministry. It's the mission of the church. Church, you have to understand that what Paul is saying here is that the work of the preachers and the teachers, the work of your staff, is not to do all the work of the church. It is to equip you to do what? The work of the church. The te- you are the team. You are the ones who do the work of the church. Now, I will share with you, that's one of the reasons why for a large part of my ministry that I've encouraged people to call me coach. Now, I, I love the title pastor, I do, I love it. But I've encouraged people most of my ministry life to call me coach. And let me, get, let me explain to you why. I'm not telling you not to call me pastor. I'm just, I'm just helping you get a, a picture of who we are and, and what we do here. All right, think of the, the, the jersey that you got on. A lot of you wore jerseys today. So think of your team, your favorite team, and obviously my team is South Carolina. If you've been around here for just a couple of months, you've already figured that out. I bleed South Carolina. It was not a pretty day yesterday in our house. <sighs> Could be a long season. Anyway, so when you watch your team, whether it's a baseball team, a football team, a basketball team, or if you go home this afternoon and you watch football, the, the, really the football season really kicks off today in the NFL. If you watch your team or any other team, does anybody in here this morning expect to see the coach of that team in the middle of the game all of a sudden run out from the sideline, grab his running back by the back of the, of the jersey, drag him off the field, run back in himself, and say, I'm gonna run the ball. Anybody expect to see the coach do that? Does anybody expect the coach to run off on the defensive side of the, of the field and grab his defensive end and throw him off the field and get out there and start to say, I'm gonna play your position for you? No, does anybody expect the basketball coach to take out his shooting guard and start to go out there in his coat and tie and play and and start to shoot hoops in the middle of the game? Does anybody expect the manager to replace the second baseman and go out and play second base in the middle of the game? No. Why? Because that's not their job. What is their job? Their job is to teach, to train, to prepare, to strategize, and to position the players on the team for success to accomplish the goals of the team, not the individual players on the team, right? The coach positions the players on his team for the success of the goals of the team, the whole team, not one particular player. But somehow, in the American church, we have gotten the idea that the pastor or the teachers or the people who are, who are doing these equipping roles, the Bible, Paul didn't really mean what he wrote there. We act in the most churches in America today like the staff, the pastor, they're the ones who are supposed to run out and play every position on the field while the rest of the team sits in the stands and goes, hey, that's nice. Am I preaching the truth, church? Okay, just want to make sure that you're hearing me. That is not what Paul said, that the role of the pastor, the teacher, the apostle, the evangelist, that's not their role. The role of those positions in the church is to equip the church, the body, the members for the work of the church. Now, what does all that have to do with anything? Why does that matter? Because Paul has been telling us in these first three chapters, he's been been telling us that... Everybody, each of you, you're very special, that you're unique to God and that God loves you. He values you highly. He has prepared you for good works before the day you drew your first breath, that he has equipped you to do the very thing that, that he prepared you to do in the first place. So what does that have to do with coaching? What does that have to do with your, with your staff? I mean, because Paul's been talking to all of y'all directly as individuals, Well, this is where it gets really interesting in chapter 4. Because in the first three chapters, Paul has addressed all of us as believers, as individuals in Christ Jesus. But then he calls on us to live that out. But as we get to chapter 4, we start to see that he's calling us to live that out. Not by ourselves, but in context with our brothers and sisters in the church. See, here's here's what, look at verse 13, right after verse 12. He says, this will continue, this teaching and equipping arrangement, this will continue until, what's the next two words? We all, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in and, and the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. He tells us that while our faith has to be personal, like, like uh, Rick was talking about, we have to make a decision to accept and follow the Lord, we have to do that at an individual level, but the way that it gets worked out is entirely different. And church, you might wanna write this down that aside from receiving Christ as your savior, once you do that, the Christian life becomes much more about we than it is about me. It's much more about we than it is about me. But you know what our American culture is about? Me, me. It's about me. But the culture of Christ, it's entirely different. So now, let's look back at the very beginning of this chapter and let's pick up what Paul has to say about it. So I'm going to read the first six verses. Paul said, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. All right, so he's wrapping up the first three chapters. He says all of of this stuff, all of this thing that, that, that God has told you, how valuable you are, how he's done the work for you, how he's equipped you. Therefore, in light of all of that, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. Still sounds personally and individually directed at this point. But then he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other can you be patient with each other if you are living your life out and your faith out by yourself no because in order to have patience with each other what do you have to have other right you have to have other you can't be patient with each other if you don't have other so he says be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you, as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. See, here he begins to move from me to we. And he tells us that the point of the we is taking all of this and all of this information and beginning to live it out in the context of we because that's the only way we ever successfully accomplish living that out. Now, when he does that, he says, when you're doing that, I want to give you one overwhelming focus, and that is unity. And we live in a world of labels. And we've been talking about labels now for the last four or five weeks. And most of us have been stuck with labels along the line that, that we don't care for. We don't like the way they make us feel. We don't like the, the image that they project of us but we get them, and sometimes we put our labels on ourselves, labels that we don't even like about ourselves, and we're a culture and a society of labels, and a lot of them we don't like, but there are some labels that we do like, and I would tell you that one of the labels that we like is the label of our favorite team, right? How many of you had any any difficulty and and think now, besides Rick, because you know the Cubs, it's, that's a hard pull. You know, it's hard to pull off the Cubs in, in, this, in this setting. But how many of you had any reservations about? Well, I probably I don't want anybody to know that I pull for this team. Anybody? Not really, because if you like your team, you like your team, right? And you love putting on the jersey of your team. This label, I love this label. I love South Carolina. Some of you love Illinois. I don't, I don't really get that one, but I get it. I mean, John, I love you, brother. I hugged him this morning in spite of the fact that he had orange on. I said, Lord, just don't let it rub off on me. <laughs> my brother James over there came over to my house yesterday in his Georgia shirt, which happened to beat South Carolina yesterday. He left feeling a lot better than we did, I can just tell you that. But he had no reservation putting his Georgia shirt on. Kelly back there has got his Chicago Bear shirt on. He's thinking Mitch Trubisky's gonna beat the Green Bay Packers today. Good luck with that, brother. Wouldn't hold my breath. (laughs) We, we, We don't have any trouble Wearing the labels that we like, especially our team. And you know one of the things that I find really fascinating about this is is when people are wearing team jerseys, there's like instant identification and connection, isn't there? Now, if you've ever done this, and I don't know if you have, but I will tell you from my own experience, um, when I see somebody else wearing a South Carolina jersey, I don't have to know them from the man in the moon and I have, I, they, I, already it instantly feels like they're the, the best friend I've ever had. <laughs> yes, that's a Carolina fan right there. I will walk up to stranger in the street, especially here in Illinois, if they got a Carolina shirt on, like, you're a Carolina fan, yes. And probably most of you have had some sort of that experience along the line. And, and if you see somebody that's wearing the same jersey as you, see, you don't. You don't really care where they're from, right? You don't care where they're from. You don't care how old they are. You don't care what they do for a living. You don't care what kind of music they like. You don't really care about any of that stuff. The only thing that matters to you is they have the same label you have. You have a unity of purpose and a unity of love because you're pulling for the same team. Am I right? Now, on the flip side of that is it will also help you identify your enemies. I mean, if I, if I ever see a Clemson jersey, we ain't speaking. I don't know you. I don't want to know you. <laughs> so it will help us I just build instant connection with somebody that shares our label And it will also help us build instant walls between us and somebody who has an opposing label that we don't want to be involved with, right? Okay, so jerseys help us figure out who we're with and and who we're against. But Paul is telling us through all of his writing here in Ephesians that when we consider all that God has done all that he has made available to us, the fact that he has equipped us to do anything that he has called us to do, that there is one jersey that should supersede them all, and that is the jersey of Team Jesus. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Bible says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Revelation 7, 9. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes. See, when we say yes to the grace of God, when we invite Jesus to come into our life, then we put on a brand new jersey. He gives us a new name, He gives us a new jersey. And it's the one that covers everything else. See, when I put on the Team Jesus jersey, then none of the other jerseys matter. When I put on the Team Jesus jersey, then my My Republican or my Democrat jersey doesn't matter. When I put this on, my team jersey doesn't matter. My school jersey doesn't matter. My music jersey doesn't matter. My work jersey doesn't matter because there's only one jersey that really matters now, and that's Team Jesus. Everything else is second place now. covers all other commitments all other loyalties everything else now takes a second place and when we find that we're giving a higher priority to anything other than team Jesus we're wearing the wrong jersey and it means when we come to church we should see each other as team Jesus when we have an offense with a brother or sister, all that matters is that we see Team Jesus. When we don't like something because it doesn't suit our preference, all that should matter is we see Team Jesus. Because this one covers it all. Let me read the last few verses of the chapter beginning in verse 21. He says, since you have heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So he's saying, hey, whatever jersey you had under this one, don't worry about this one anymore. This one is of no value to you now. You put on the new robe that Jesus gives you. You put on the new nature that Jesus gives you and you let that one override everything else. He said, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Stealing, instead use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 30, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own guaranteed that you will be saved on the day of redemption. You know always saying when you put on the team Jesus jersey, everybody's watching you. Everybody sees team Jesus on the front and the back of this jersey. Don't bring shame to the name of God by living in a way that is contrary to what team Jesus should look like and act like. He says, "Get rid of all bitterness." Rage, anger, harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Yesterday I was looking at, at, at Facebook and I saw a post that, uh, that Rick had shared and he shared Hebrews 10, 24 and he's, he's talking about how the church is supposed to stir up one another, encourage one another to good works, stir up to, to love and to good works. And um, Angela Vineyard responded and she said, yes, churches become, can become so busy with the programming that people aren't able to stir and love. And so we're going we're gonna to finish our service in a slightly different way this morning. See, our faith is lived out in a we. And he says, stir each other, encourage each other to love and good works, forgive one another, have patience with one another. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do the invitation this morning is really a mass call to action. I'm going to ask every person here today
1: From to
0: go find somebody
1: shame,
0: to express love to. The
1: empty where I've worn your name.
0: I'm going to ask everybody here to go find somebody to encourage. I I I'm going to ask everybody here to step out of your seat oh, and go seek forgiveness, to go seek restoration. Oh, Lord, I say the only jersey that matters to me is team Jesus if you need to come and pray come and pray pray with somebody where you stand but I'm going to ask everybody everybody to move it's time for the church to be the church amen so gonna ask you to stand Father I pray that the Holy Spirit right now. God, is just pray the Holy Spirit will fall. And that people will find freedom this morning. That joy will be restored. That love will be given. Encouragement will be received.
1: And that the church is the church. In
0: Jesus' name. Music is going to play. Nobody knows if you're seeking forgiveness or encouraging somebody but church you got to move Wherever you are right now you got to move
1: Yes oh let this be Where I die
0: see somebody standing by themselves, don't let them stand by themselves. You go love on them. This is the body of Christ and this is part of our service today.